All right, Frank, something pretty momentous happened today. Well, not today, this week, I would say. And it's something that's been in development for a while. And our good friend, Scott Hanselman, put me on to the niceties of this product inside of Windows. And I know you're not a Windows person. We don't talk about Windows that much, but I use Windows every single day. However, there are a lot of people now that can fully use Linux on Windows without dual booting into a Linux thing. They can just use Linux on their Windows machine, including full graphical user interface GUI applications, Frank. Wait, wait. So you're you're telling me the one time that we actually do talk about Windows and we're <laughs> going to talk about Linux instead? Uh, okay. Okay. No, no, no. Here, here's a few things. Here's what I want to talk about is that um, it's kind of amazing that nowadays we write a lot of cross-platform code on different machines and we actually don't care where it's going to execute. Now, let me actually unpack that a little bit because that's terrible phrasing. But what I mean is that we write an Azure function. We write a service and we publish that where? Where does it run? Maybe it runs on Windows. Maybe it runs on Linux. Maybe it's on a Mac machine. It doesn't matter because .NET runs everywhere. However, if you're a developer, you may want to test their actual logic and code on those machines. And now if you're on a Windows machine, you can literally run your applications from Windows in Linux and kind of debug it as if it was running on Windows. Like this WSL, the Windows subsystem for Linux is this like holy grail, really cool technology that is also like tying into our Windows applications to debug into the Windows app, into the Linux applications. Like, so it's like this weird, you know, it's like the matrix. It's like layers upon layers, like inside of layers. You know what I mean? It's like inception. It's like, it's an inception of operating systems. <laughs> this is going to be fun because I've never, I actually did use WSL once. So I have one-time experience using it. So I'm pretty sure everyone listening is going to have more experience with this than I do, but I'm still going to talk about, like, I know a lot of things about it because, James, I actually do know a lot about the subsystem uh, system <laughs> in the NT kernel. <laughs> uh, this was a funny feature of how NT was designed, the NT kernel, which is the basis of all modern Windows operating systems. They there is a deep down Windows NT kernel API, but they didn't want people actually writing programs against that. Mm -hmm. So instead, they created these subsystems. And the subsystem most people know is the Windows subsystem. <laughs> uh, but it, there was always also a POSIX subsystem, which ran uh, some funny old versions of Unix. But the cool thing about WSL is we got Linux now, so Linux is running as the subsystem. So I just want to say that that cool, fancy thing that you're talking about, like debugging between those layers, it's actually been in Windows from, from the beginning times. It's an old, old feature that's just having a really modern impact, which is really cool. Yeah, it's really, so it's kind of like this expansion into exposing these subsystems and opening them up. I mean... To the point that I can literally open the Microsoft store app and just type in Linux and it gives me a bunch of Linux distros that I can install like 
a bunch of flavors of Ubuntu and just have them running, it reminds me of, you know, VMware. Like it's almost like VMware, but it's not a VM, right? Like that's the cool part is like, it's actually running natively there compared to like a VM or something in Hyper-V that is an in, in instance that's running inside of itself. It's, 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 it's in, it's inside the computer. <laughs> Can I can I derail us? De- derailment number one, please. Yes. Uh, so a really cool new feature of Mac OS, Big Sur, I'm going to go with Big Sur, is this added way to execute virtual machines from an Apple-approved API. Mm. This has always been possible on Macs because they were Intel Macs and you could just do your, you know, Intelli stuff to start up a hyper whatever and, you know, hyper your way into virtual machines and all that stuff. But from a programmer, not many programmers like, do you know how from an API to spin up a virtual machine? I certainly didn't. You went and downloaded VMware. You got a command line tool. You found some images, something like that. Well, they added APIs to actually execute Linux virtual machines. Mm. And they have hardware abstraction APIs where you can respond to events from virtualized keyboards and virtualized mice and all that kind of stuff. And it's actually baked into the standard AppKit API, totally accessible from Xamarin. Downside is... Absolutely none of it is documented. (laughs) It is just a mystery on how to use the thing. It is an object-oriented API, so you can guess around at it. Me, personally, I've never yet successfully gotten it to boot a Linux image. I've tried everything. I've tried giving it kernels. I've tried giving it disk images. I've tried like making Raspberry Pi devices for it to execute. I cannot get this thing to boot. But I love the idea that there is a virtualization API in Mac. So I guess my, my derailment to tie back into the main track is it's kind of interesting how... Um, Linux has become this like virtual machine that we all just want to run because kind of servers do that. But it's small, and it's back, small, right? It's tiny. It's small. I'll, I'll loop back that I agree with you with like, if I'm creating an Azure function thing, I do not want to pick an operating system. That is the last thing I want to pick. Let the server people figure that part out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, you know, I, I even like, I, I never do functions enough. I, I do web services on Azure and they make you pick these things like your machine and your operating system. I'm like, I don't care. Give me a file system and a place to put my .NET stuff and so I can hit a run button. One of these days, I hope it'll be that simple. I'll tell you, I've been writing so many functions recently. I'm, I'm like function crazy right now. And yeah, I just, I just go, go, go. But I think you're kind of right on this sort of, Linuxy as a rapid deployment, little tiny thing that we want to like execute code in, uh, because it, it's fast and it's small is when you think about dockers and container, right? I think one of the really cool parts about WSL two specifically on windows is that you can now like run Docker on your windows machine without Hyper-V like it's running on the Linux subsystem. Whereas before you'd have to have Hyper-V and like this, this other thing running, it can just literally run on WSL2, um, the, you know, the second version, which is WSL2, uh, and you can debug into it from VS Code, from Visual Studio on Windows, 
and it's transparent to you that you're debugging your Docker containers from Windows, you know, and that is a really cool thing. And on top of that, they recently, and by they, I mean like the Visual Studio teams, they have integration into Visual Studio and VS Code that is to debug your .NET app in WSL2. So inside of the dropdown, the debug dropdown, where you would see, you know, uh, basically IIS, Kestrel, whatever, there's a little dropdown that says WSL2. And you debug your app inside of Linux and it's transparent to you. Like you have no idea. And like when you think about what you're saying, which is I don't care where I'm running it. So just execute it. It's it's almost the same as like, okay, I'm just going to be deploying this. I'm just always going to do it on maybe Linux. I know that I'm always going to do Linux going forward. And to me, it's it's easier to just pick one thing and go, right? Or if you're like, hey, I'm only ever going to deploy on Windows, you can ignore this entire podcast, right? Doesn't, doesn't matter. But um, I think that's really neat that those integrations, so when you think of the Windows machine, it is this kind of like ultimate dev machine for not only Windows, but also for Linux now too, which I think is is really, really cool. And you think about that tooling, right? Because there is no Visual Studio full on Linux. There's a VS Code, obviously, but to be able to do all of your development stack I think is really neat. Yeah. And can I be thoroughly honest? The thing that kind of is impressing me the most slash freaking me out the most and everything that you just said, like the debugging stuff, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's going through the blah, blah, blah. It's fine. Um, the part that I can't comprehend is getting the networking stack correct <laughs> because Docker is such an advanced networking stack that has all these virtual ports doing all sorts of crazy routing. And that's usually done easiest through a virtual machine. That's why it works nicely. But I am just really impressed that that is working with the network stack. Uh, wow. Some good engineers out there. You know, I would never, ever want to write that code. Never. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. So the the part that really, I think, freaked me out the most, though, I, I guess a lot is freaking me out today, was that <laughs> there was a tweet going around about GUI apps showing up on Windows now. And this is always a funny question that, that I had was um, if that worked, because I had never tried it or anything like that. And I guess it hadn't. It reminds me, sorry to derail again into the Mac world, but uh, there are a lot of old Unix X11 apps, the X window system, mm. and you would execute these apps and they would download this crazy like quartz something executor thinger. Yeah. And if you crossed your fingers and the magic world worked, this weird app would come up on your screen and it would sometimes even work. And that went away at some point. Apple just said, we're not doing that anymore. But um, it, it really reminded me of that time. So have, have you tried this? Have you brought up any like crazy Linux GUI apps on Windows? Okay, so when I saw this blog post came up, come out and I watched the video from, I think it's Chris, Craig, I wanted to yeah, Craig, who wrote this post? Craig wrote the post on the GUI apps, Craig Lowen. But there's another uh, blog post that's very good from Steve Pronovost, who um, talked about WSLG. Okay. 
WSLG is the Windows subsystem for Linux GUI, which enables this support. So it's like another, you know, addition to the Windows operating system. Now, here's the only problem I have for me, James, is that you need to install currently Windows 10 Insider Preview Build 21362 or greater. Uh -huh. I am not about that life. Sorry. <laughs> Right. So, so how hot off the press are we talking here? When was that version released? I assume it was released last week Days. when this blog post went out, right? Yes. So, um, <laughs> I think John from my team, he told me he was updating to try this because he wanted to um, mess around with some like Xamarin forms or .NET MAUI, like, you know, open sure. source stuff to see if it works, which I'd have no idea how you would do that, but who knows, uh, in general, but, uh, you know, I was like, wow, this is really cool. So you can definitely do it. And then there's instructions on how to, to update and get things installed. Of course, they're all like crazy pseudo commands and all this stuff. But literally, it should be as easy as like pseudo apt install GIMP, right, or VLC, and it would install the, mm -hmm. the literally Linux versions of them, and then it will pop it up on your machine. And I think it's, I think that's cool. I think for a developer, though, like, Oh, I'm going to open up the Linux GUI editing tools that I'm used to. That's really cool. I, I don't see myself like opening the Linux calculator app on my desktop. You know what I mean? <laughs> but wow, burn, dude, burn. You know, uh, Miguel wrote the first version of the numerics. So it's kind of a calculator app. Well, you know, the Windows calculator app, it's very good. It's, it's very nice. I use it all the time. It is actually. It's a wonderful calculator app. Open source. <laughs> it's funny the example of vlc all, all i could think of like how much was it going to download like every codec ever invented every like how does it know which video api to use is it going to use OpenGL? is it going to be hardware accelerated does nvidia drivers work actually that is kind of a good question i'm sorry i gotta uh put on my uh neural network nerd hat right now and yeah, please like, hold well, because James. i have an answer for you the answer yes there are drivers for AMD, Intel, and NVIDIA for WSL. Virtual wow. GPU. That's scary. It, <laughs> what it, kind it of can, world do we live in? It can benefit from hardware-accelerated OpenGL rendering. I just might have to try this. I don't want to build another PC. It's I, I'm personally down to one Linux box, one MacBook, and one iMac, and and you know life is good. But um, and and I've been using Windows on a virtual machine and on a Surface Go. So basically, I'm saying I should build a PC, or I'm convincing myself as I speak that I should be building a PC right now. Mm -hmm. But hot off the presses, um, has there been any downsides? Has everything worked so far? I don't know. I mean, I haven't gotten to to run it myself because right. I'm not I'm not about that um insider right. build on my main machine, my main rig. The one that I used to do stuff on was my Surface Go. And then I was like, I'm not gonna put you know things on here. You know what I should do is I should I should boot up my Surface book that's sitting over here and, and get on get on the ring and do it because I don't use it for work anymore, really. Cause I've again I have a big desktop machine, so I've just been using that nonstop during um COVID. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't, I've seen all positive things. Like there's of course a bunch of comments and things like that, but the demos that they gave were really cool. I mean, they, they opened up via the, the Linux version of VS code, um, 
G, I think it's like the Linux GUI editor, G edit or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think the funny part is that they, they did a demo where they opened the Linux version of audacity. And here's the crazy part when you're talking about stacks, like networking stacks and drivers, like the Linux application running on windows can not only display the GUI and let you like edit stuff, but it can play audio through the windows machine and access right. the microphone from the windows machine. Or is it, I don't even know how it works, but it's magic. That's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same astonishment I was feeling with the network card, like getting that stuff to work is always the trick. Gosh, you got me. Now I'm thinking, you know, wine, the, the mm-hmm. windows API that you run on Linux. So if you want to go full circle with your crazy stack here, you could run a Windows app under the Linux system on Windows now. And I'm really surprised no one did that in the demo. That would have been so wonderfully circular and all of that stuff. It's it's fun, right? Um, I, I wonder, like, um, it, it's um, mouse clicks too, right? It's not just networking. It's not just audio. How does the mouse interact? Because... Linux and X have such different user interface conventions that Mm -hmm. who knows how any of that would work. You know, um, kind of for years, people have asked for Linux versions of my apps, and they're a very vocal minority, and so I've never done it. And um, I'm kind of kicking myself because Raspberry Pis became kind of a really cool I think that Raspberry Pis are Linux on the desktop. You know, it's it's the year of Linux on the desktop. I think Raspberry Pis are about as close as we've ever gotten. There's so many of them out there running proper Linux desktop software. But I've always kind of wish I had, you know, done it or will do it someday. Support that Linux GUI. Why not? The only problem I have is not necessarily with Linux, right? With, cause I'm not a big Linux person and I'm not a command line person. I'm not really a, I don't stray very far from the windows machine, if you will. And uh, even though I do spend a lot of time on the Mac, but it's not, it's, it's not a, it's not a comfort zone for me. Like windows is really comforting because I've been here all my life and I can do, I can be in and out of, of Linux in and out, but I have booted up a few Linux, like home theater PC solutions. And it just didn't, mesh with me. The problem is as like a solo developer, right? Or even just someone that's like demoing a lot of this stuff is you have to, if you're going to ship these apps, you have to test all these apps and you have to have all the hardware around, right? So at least this cuts out some of the picture, right? Of you developing that Linux app version, but you still need to test it and support it, right? That's, you got to pick and choose. That's the hardest part. However, if your application though, Frank was just purely like open, TK or open GL flavor, mm-hmm. then that would be a pretty good start because you wouldn't have to worry about like the, the Linuxy Chrome around it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we should say that Visual Studio for Mac currently right now is a GDK app. It's kind of a Linux user framework app. How do I know? Because it beach balls once in a while. And when I go and look at the stack trace, I see a bunch of GDK uh, function calls in it. So there are some, um, we love talking about like Maui and I don't know, Maui, (laughs) Xamarin Mm -hmm. Forms, because we're mobile devs. But um, on 
cross-platform desktop work. You definitely have the GDK. Which one am I just blanking on? Is it not Tickle? Is it not TCL? That's like a language also. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one other one that I'm just complete QT. 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 Sorry. Mm-hmm. QT. However you're supposed to pronounce it. I say QT. Yep. QT. You say QT. I say QT. QT too, but then I think I was told once Q. to call it QT. Oh, I call it yeah. QT. I've always called it QT. Yeah. So those those are some uh, basically Linux desktop frameworks that are very popular. QT is really popular in the embedded systems world, where again, Linux is popular. <laughs> you know, um, if you're building old touchscreen, and I don't mean old, if you're building touchscreen UIs, you're often doing that in QT. It's yeah. just how it is. Uh, what you know? What other app is is Qt is the Stream Deck application is Qt. Oh, interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of them. I think even Audacity that we mentioned earlier, or there's so many of them. Yeah, I uh, I'm I'm holding my breath. I actually learned it at some point. You know, it's kind of like a XAML. They have QML. Did mm. you ever learn that? Mm-mm, no. <laughs> I was working at a company and everything was done in QML. So I learned me some QML and I wrote UIs in it. It was uh it was actually productive, but it's like everything, there's a big learning curve. But the benefit was it could run on most operating systems. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, it, and it's it's all your need, right? It's all your need that you have for your application. And that's why there's I mean, there are so many out there, right? I think like Avalonia with .NET, I think also has like a Linux GUI on it too, I want to say. Avalonia, uh, uh, right? I believe so because they have UIs for just about everything. And I have to give a shout out, newest version of IL Spy that uses Avalonia now has a dark mode. Ooh. Dark mode. Everyone, update. <laughs> <laughs> I was very pleased to find it. I got to say, I don't love their dark mode, but at least it's dark mode. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I, d- yeah. Anyways, I agree. Um, yeah, I do like there's a lot of options on here. I, I need to play around a little bit more with the Linuxy stuff just to see it. But I do think that that world would be really, really cool is like, if I was using Avalonia or I was using Maui, if, if it had like a Linux version of it, just being on my Windows machine and debugging it, boom, there it is, right? That would be yeah, pretty neat. Amazing. Uh, yeah. It would I, give me, you know, motivation to, to do it because I just don't have a Linux machine sitting around and I, I never plan on having one. No offense. <laughs> I have one. It's literally two feet away from me and I do my best never to log into it. Sometimes <laughs> I have uh, set up my computer so I have virtual machines and screen shares to my other computers. And I'll be like toggling between those, you know, on Mac, you can just like five, four finger swipe, whatever, many finger swipe. And I can't even tell if I'm on a virtual machine <laughs> or a real physical machine. What is a computer anymore? There's all just these things with operating systems. And then in the end, you end up just opening a browser and every single one of them. I think that that's also why the um, Linux desktop didn't take off in a bigger way is because um, if you wanted to support Linux, the easiest way to do that was a web app. <laughs> mm, yeah. Oh, web apps. They exist. Yeah. They're out there. 
so you definitely need to try running Mozilla under uh, WSLG. I like it, WSLG. Does that include WSL2? Which is interesting because it makes the point that this is not just like some app you have to download. So it's really in the kernel. They really changed something. It's in it. It's in the computer. <laughs> yeah, it's in there. I think, yeah. I don't know how it works necessarily, magic, but it's in there. It's in there, Frank. Yeah. Hmm. So you're not going to rush out to write any Linux apps. I'm not going to rush. Bad. I'm not going to rush out to upgrade my machine just yet, but... That being said, I am intrigued. I just, I don't even, I think the problem that I have right now is I know that I can easily get a Mac app or a Windows app into a desktop app store, but I don't know what that story is for Linux and uh, how to distribute Linux applications, how to monetize Linux applications. I think that's the thing is Linux is, is, is all open, right? And there's so many different flavors and distros that becomes the downfall for me as a developer to really want to move forward. The reason I moved into mobile development, right, from desktop development is that there was this ecosystem that had this um, magical, it's an app store. It had a magical app store, Mm -hmm. right? And the magical app store, they gave you the frameworks to build the apps. They gave you the frameworks to put your app into the app store. They gave you the frameworks to monetize your application. And I know that there is like a lot of command line stores. I'm going to put in quotes for Linux. And again, I'm not a Linux expert, so please don't get too upset with me if I'm, if I'm incorrect and Frank will correct me. But to me, the problem I have is like, okay, let's say I do do a Linux version of my app. Like but then how do I get it to the people? I, I think it's like a big barrier for me to overcome. And I may be sounding like, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know what I'm sounding like, but it's not someone that's like, I'm so excited to go do it. I am really, I think it'll make cool demos. And like, there's definitely people out there that have have talked to me and like inquired about like what they're doing with Linux and Linux desktop. And like, this could be a good moving forward moment for them to really have like a one-stop shop to build their Linux and their windows and applications and their web apps all in a single place. And I think that's cool. Yeah. Sorry. You you had me switching around there because I want to address that last part, but I'm going to go back to, I don't know of a good store on there either. So I can't correct you. I can say on Ubuntu, they do have like a neat little store front thing where you can search and download apps so that thing's there and that's very nice but i never actually caught whether you could um charge for apps and if you could buy apps Mm. i i would check into steam and that's the real question is whether steam works on the linuxes and that Mm. kind of stuff yeah it's a tricky one um like i think about like i would love to have kelka on the raspberry pi but then i'm like there are so few people that use raspberry pi and there are so few people that use kelka you know like relatives like uh how big is the market and i'm like wow you're really multiplying out there so it's it's a tough one but at the same time um what you were saying from a developer experience it can still be great because when I'm doing neural networks, that's why I was asking about the eGPU because you you the neural network stuff these days is quite often it's almost always Linux machines, and it's quite often Docker files in Linux machines, 
And if you could run that without a virtual machine on your Windows PC, without actually having to run an actual Linux machine, that is a win, 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 win situation just for accessing the file system and all that kind of stuff. So I don't want to make any promises to anyone out there since I don't know anything about this. And <laughs> but uh, that would be a wonderful use case. And that would actually tempt me to at least try on my next neural network machine to try start with Windows first before I tempt fate and install Linux. Mm, yeah. There you yeah. go. Boom. <laughs> I just Boom. I just hit this can over here. Whoops. That was my, my boom. Uh, we did it. We did a full episode on Linux, kind of Windows desktop, but mostly Linux desktop, and the, and the pair together. Best friends? Best friends. They look like best friends. You know what I appreciated was it wasn't like um, the screen share or virtual machine window. It was each app actually got its own individual window. So they really were like cooperating. You know, it wasn't, they weren't, boxed off into a little sandbox so yeah definitely getting along yeah i will put links to all of the blog posts and the github pages and all the things uh in the show notes but yeah i hope that uh people enjoy this episode if you're using linux or developing for linux definitely let us know go to mergeconflict.fm there's a contact button there's a discord there's a twitter there's all the accounts frank we have all the accounts so many accounts should we get like a command line tool to list out all of our accounts and then people could app get install that and run that on windows? Well, that's going to do it for this week's podcast. That is for sure on that. Con no, no, I think I'll, um, <laughs> sure. You can do that. Whatever you, we can make a Linux GUI app that lists all the places that people can contact us. Frank, that's what I'm going to assign you to do. Okay, great. Perfect. Can't wait. All right, cool. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in and for being with us for over 250 episodes. We appreciate each and every single one of you. And if it's your first time here because you saw Linux in the title, well, welcome. We talk about Linux on occasion, mostly AI and, and ML, and, and that stuff happens in Linux too. We're excited to be able to run .NET code absolutely everywhere, and we're excited to do it all with you. So that's going to do it for this week's Emerge Conflict. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.